even more excited to be here with you guys. So a big thank you all for being here, both live and in person. Uh, as part of the structure for our panel today, we're going to do a quick market update. And for those of you guys who know me, you know me as uh, the market update lady and also the blueprint lady. Uh, so I'd love to be able to share this with you in person. If you want to just connect with me and you can email me and I can give you uh, all my slides so you guys can have it. Uh, we have a great panel with us today. I'm going to introduce them in just a couple of moments. Eddie, yeah? With Russell and I up here, this is definitely the prettiest panel of all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eddie, leave the jokes to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, uh, again, super excited to be here to share this information with you. And going to go ahead and do a very quick market update because I want to make sure we are able to hear from the panel and understand what they have to share with us as well. So it's been a disrupted year for every single one of us in the entire world. But who knew that uh, with a disruption like this, it was going to bring probably the best real estate market that we have ever seen uh, by far. Um, and I would assume that would even include people who have been investing on this panel since the 70s, right? Who could probably all say the same thing. So very much a V-shaped recovery. We only spent two months last year that we were down in terms of overall sales. Uh, the average price was up. The median price was up. Uh, last year, the sales volume overall was up 9.4%, which was significantly higher than what it was up in 2019 and 2018. The forecast for 2021, and this is mine. I'm going to actually ask the panelists as well what their forecast is, but I'm expecting those numbers to be only up between three and 5%. How could we have been the most disrupted market that we had ever had and been up 9.4%, but only expected to be up 3.5% this year? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Yeah. Ferris? Anyone? Why? Inventory. Yeah. I love going through the, the exact reasons why we're a little low on inventory. The sales forecast or the sales results for last year for all of Texas up 8.2% year over year. But I forecast for 2021, we're going to look at about a 15 to 20% increase. Why is that? Kimberly? Inventory, inventory, right? So we'll talk about what some of those uh, things are that are resulting in us having a uh, shortage of inventory right now. So uncertainty, is anybody in here uncertain about whether or not they're gonna have a job next year or next month, right? So does uncertainty make people take immediate action or does uncertainty kind of paralyze people and make them say, hey, let's wait to see what's gonna happen next. The potential buyers, are they coming into my home? Do I have a person who's taking their temperature when they're walking in? Yeah. Well, probably, well, some people say yes, but probably not. Uh, will the stream of buyers interrupt my day, my child's day? How many of you guys have people that are, have kids at school that are in their Zoom classes all day long, right? And you can't just tell them, hey, honey, like pack up all your stuff. You can't take your quiz right now. We got to go and show the house. And then for me personally, when I'm in my Zoom meetings, it's like, you know, I, I, can't, I can't get off them to be able to get out of the house fast enough. And then where am I going to go that I'm going to feel comfortable? 
And then are the people that are in my home healthy, right? Uh, or do we have some people who are compromised health at home as well? Um, low interest rates are motivating those buyers. And of course, the last market cycle, 2008, very much changed how builders develop and their desire to take risk in this market has been significantly pulled back. And we've been in a market shortage even before this uh, for about five years where our market inventory has been below our six to six month market equilibrium of what it had been at over the last 40 years. Uh, a labor shortage, so immigration policies, border crossing insecurity. Who saw the front page of the Wall Street Journal today? Got a bunch of readers in the room. Great, yeah. <laughs> so the cover of the Wall Street Journal today uh, showed some people who were trying to cross the border with a baby in their hand. And there's a lot of insecurity now because of the increase in uh, or changes in immigration policy which has resulted in a, in a slowdown of some of those would-be laborers, would-be contractors. Prices have gone up for labor, prices have gone up for material, prices have gone up for land. The city permitting. Uh, some of you guys who know me know that one of my least favorite sayings is, we're from the government, and we're here to help, right? <laughs> know, know that that means trouble, right, for every single one of you. In some cases, that makes uh, building more expensive. Of course, we have the Elon effect as well of all of these people moving to Texan. Now that he's a Texan, we have a lot of buyers who are coming in from out of state. More companies are moving here, further reducing the supply. And some owners want to do exactly what we do as real estate investors, which is keep their homes as rental properties, uh, chain, uh, turn them into Airbnbs, et cetera. And then of course, again, we're from the government, we're here to help, we're not gonna allow foreclosures and we haven't for a long time. So what has that done? It's also reduced the amount of would-be inventory that might be hitting the market. And then as a bonus, all right, February 14th, uh, the ice storm, the snowstorm. Who was on a date, I'm curious, on, on uh, February 14th for Valentine's Day? Was it a date that never ended? because your date could not leave your home okay we know of people who were like man i can't this is the we went out for a while a night and then it's just like i can't get this person out of my house for a week so the bonus that that included is the pipe striking right the renovation that was needed after that and what we've seen as a result is the fact that the number of total active listings right now, and this is the Texas data, are down 50% versus where they were this exact same time last year. Uh, sales price up, the average sales price up 18% year over year. Again, because the basic laws of economics, supply and demand, as supply gets pulled down, as demand gets pushed up because of all of those different things that I showed on on the last slide, it's going to continue to increase that price. Days on market down to just 48 days. Last month, February, again, why do we have a reduction in the total number of sales? Down 2%. Why was that? The storm. The storm. So a lot of people had to take their properties off the market. A lot of people had to do those repairs. And that's also one of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons why our active listings are down as well. Pending listings down four and a half percent. Months of inventory right now at 1.4 months of inventory. Again, our historical 40 year average here in Texas is somewhere between six and six and a half months of inventory. They say anything less than six months of inventory, seller's market. 
Anything more than six months of inventory, buyer's market. Right now, we're definitely a seller's market on steroids, super steroids, and only a 1.4 month supply of inventory. I've got the full year data for Texas here as well. I'll show the Houston data. So Houston was actually one of the few cities last month who had an increase in the number of sales just because of the location. Houston was maybe a little less affected by the storms than, for example, uh, Dallas, Austin uh, were, because Dallas and Austin both saw a decrease in overall sales. The average sales price last month in Houston up 16%. Uh, the median price up 16%, days on market a very short 48 days. And then total active listings in the Houston market down 38% versus where we were the same time last year. Pending sales are up 12% versus last month. It was it was looking like up in the in the mid-20s. Again, because so many people have taken their houses off the market, have had to make repairs, um, and are also kind of in that wait and see mode. Guys, I want to make sure I get to the panel, so I'm going to speed through the Austin results, which had closed sales, I'll highlight, closed sales down 8% year over year, versus the average sales price in Austin was up 26% year over year. Why is that? Look at the months of inventory. That is a 0.4 months of inventory for Austin. There's not even a whole month supply of inventory in Austin right now. Pending sales were down again because of the storm uh, and total active listings down 71% versus where we were the same time last year. What I wanna point out, this is a phenomenon right now that's only happening in the Austin market, but the active listings are actually less than the pending listings. And we've seen that phenomenon happen just over the last five months. And it is one of the most unusual things that you will experience as a real estate investor. Not yet here in Houston, uh, but kind of starting to head that way. And as we're again facing some of those issues with inventory, we might see that come up in uh, Houston as well. San Antonio data, uh, sales price was up 15% year over year. San Antonio, just like Houston, was hit a little less hard by that, that winter storm, so they were able to eke out a 1% increase in overall sales and their months of inventory in San Antonio at about 1.6 months of inventory. The Dallas and Fort Worth market, average sales price of 20% year over year. Guys, these houses throughout Texas, multiple offers above list price the same day it's listed, and in some cases, sight unseen. Why? because they gotta make an offer. They may not be able to leave work, but they've gotta make an offer to even have a chance at getting at these properties. Many of these properties throughout Texas are going 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 and up above the list price. In Austin last month, the list price to the sales price was 106%. So if it was listed at 100, it sold at 106. In the Houston market, it was about 98%. In the Dallas market, about 99%. So you can see how the shortage of inventory is creating all of these different opportunities, right? Never let a good crisis go to waste. And I know as soon as we get to the panel, we'll figure out what they're doing to make sure that's the case too. 
I know I rushed through that, guys, and it's just because I want to make sure we get a lot of time with our panel. If you'd like some more information about the market update, want a copy of the slides, you can head on over to askmeaboutinvesting.com, askmeaboutinvesting.com, and I'd be happy to share that with you. So thank you guys for allowing me to uh, go through that. And now I want to introduce some of the great folks that are on our panel with us today. And I want to make sure I get all of my introductions right because we have some real players here on the uh, panel with us. And one of the things I want to point out about our panel is not only are these some really incredibly successful and experienced people, but they are some of the most humble people that you will meet as real estate investors. Um, these are people who will open up their doors, their minds, their hearts to be able to speak with you guys, uh, talk to you guys, and really want to be of service within this community. And I've seen so many of them in action doing exactly that. So this is a great panel to see and to watch in action. And I think you guys will love uh, hearing from them. So V Lee, uh, so V, everyone waves to V. Uh, she moved here to the U.S. from Vietnam at age 15. Imagine how hard that had to have been. Uh, not having English as your first language, working through some of the cultural issues. And uh, she was able to overcome all of that and uh, these things that we take for granted every single day. And they say, V, that uh, people who are immigrants to the United States are actually seven times more likely to be a millionaire than natural born citizens. So, yeah. So, because why? You know, she, doesn't, she doesn't take this for, she didn't, she didn't buy a round trip ticket back to Vietnam. No, she had to make it here, and that's exactly what she's doing. She started investing in 2014, and in this short period of time has accomplished more than most other real estate investors will accomplish in their entire career. And she's surrounded by great people to help do that with as well. She runs multiple companies around Texas and is a founder of RE Ballers. Many of you guys got to see her as she presented with Chris Voss, uh, the author of Never Split the Difference in October of 2019. I was in the audience. It was one of the greatest things that I got to see myself. Love putting that into action. We also have Eddie Gant. So Eddie often likes to refer, refer to himself as the handsome one. Uh, whenever, whenever, he is, whenever he is introducing, I heard him introduce Haley recently, and he said that uh, Haley got his looks from, yes, from, yeah. So that's how he likes to, you know. Uh, and uh, he's got just a great history. So he first started investing in 1999. He owns uh, the most successful homebusters, We Buy Ugly Houses franchise in all of the United States. Uh, he's completed over 1,700 transactions, 3,000 loans, and owns over 100 rental properties. So really uh, uh, another one of the ballers that we have at the table. And then we have Olivia Hathaway. So Olivia started her investing career just a few years ago, but she has been growing that exponentially. So she's going to talk to you guys probably about what she's learned over about the last four years of investing in real estate and how she's able to invest in all over uh, the major markets throughout Texas. Uh, what I love about one of her uh, strategies when she's out door knocking and somebody wants to shove, shut the door in her face, she says, are you kidding me? I came here all the way from Brazil 
to talk to you guys. You're not going to shut the door in my face. And believe it or not, that strategy works every time. So I'm working on my accent uh, right now so I can say something very similar. But uh, it's a great way uh, to be able to break the ice. And she'll share some of that with you. Russell Simmons is at the end. Um, I was talking to another colleague of mine. And they had told me when I said I was on this panel with Russell, they said, oh, man, I want to be like him when I grow up. This guy has it all. So Russell is a native Houstonian, U of H grad, realtor and broker since 1993, uh, currently on the board of the Houston Association of Realtors. He owns the company Texas Area Properties, and he's been investing since 1979, has a large portfolio of residential and commercial properties. So we have a great panel, or what? Yeah, I noticed it's standing room only in the back, and if more of you guys could stand up, that will make that even more true right now. Can you guys give this awesome panel a, a round of applause? Thank you. Fast around, I'm going to ask a couple of questions and uh, ask our panelists to uh, answer these questions in somewhere between one to two minutes because I've got several. And I'm going to start with the first one. And Russell, if you don't mind, I'll start with you. Uh, so, Russell, what is your forecast for the Houston real estate market for the rest of 2021 and going into 2022? Well, I always say it's great to be in Houston, Texas. It's the uh, greatest market to be in. That's why I've been here my whole life. Um, I'm probably going to have the best year of my life by June of this year in a mm -hmm. pandemic year. I do not understand it. I'm just embracing it. So um, I'm kind of the guy that goes the other direction. Uh, we know residential is going to be great. But as I've said so many times, I just reach for low-hanging fruit. I go against the market. If residential is hot, then I'm buying commercial. Commercial's hot, then I'm buying residential. So, the I mean, you just can't really go wrong in Houston. If there's anything that I that I feel like, uh, you know, I've been approached by a lot of my residential tenants lately, and they say, "Will you sell us the house? There's no inventory." I say, "Well, we'll only sell it for this much," and they say, "Okay." So we're kind of taking our profit. We're getting out of it. I think that the market's going to be strong, but some people say it, it only goes up. Well, sometimes it goes down. So we'll probably be buying back in the next year or two. So take a profit, buy back in, but 2021 is going to be a great year. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Olivia, would you share with us what you think the forecast is for the Houston market for 2021 and 2022? Uh, hey, guys. Uh, I think if you have something that you want to make a profit, this is the time. I think he's totally right. Uh, if you are planning to sell, don't hold back, just sell now and wait for the market to go down because it will. It makes no sense for us to believe that the market will continue for this to continue to keep growing the way it is. It will go down at some point. We just don't have the magic ball to know when. So I'm just going to wait. I am still buying Houston for the right price, sometimes 70. I try to stay on the 70%. Sometimes I go on the 80%, but I still try to really buy on the 70%. So there's two deals happening here in Houston, even though there is not much inventory in the market. So thank you. Awesome. Eddie. Well, I think 2021 is going to be more of the same, which I, I kind of think is good news, bad news. Uh, the good news is uh, you can sell your houses really quick, fast for, for, for you know, max value. The, the bad side of it is it, it does make it a little harder to acquire 
today. That's eventually going to change. We don't know when. It might be next year. It might be 2023. But it's eventually going to turn. And I, I, I think when it turns, that's not, that's not a bad thing. You just have to make your uh, adjustments and make them quickly and swiftly for what the new change brings us. It's going to happen. But um, I do enjoy this side of it right now because it is so easy to sell the houses and sell them for max value. And uh, I think I might have said this earlier this morning. I'm in a in a bad market, the rental business is great. Well, in a market like we're in now, the rental business is good. So um, get yourself a um, a blend. You know, don't don't put all your eggs in one basket. Get yourself a good blend. Flips, wholesales, rentals. Do you know? Just just figure out what's good for you. Okay, but I think more of the same in the immediate future. I think 2021 20, is going to be a great year. Um, I've talked to a lot of people and 2020 was a really, really good year for a lot of people, even though it was a bad year for some. So 2021, I think it's going to be a greater year than 2020. And 2022, probably going to be another good year too. We don't know what happened in 2023, but we can prepare, make all the cash in 2022. One and 22 and start buying up in 23. So uh, thank you guys for sharing. Um, and I want to kind of get an idea of what your definition of good is. Um, is, is good because of the inventory shortage, is good just selling uh, at a higher price, maybe fewer properties at a higher price? Is, uh, how, are, how, are you, how are you guys defining that? Oh, I'm just here to keep you guys out of trouble. <laughs> I think good is when you buy anything and then you end up selling it for more than what you thought you would. Okay. Uh, when I wake up in the morning in good health and my bottom line shows profit. Okay. All right. When, uh, when I don't know, guys. Uh, this year so far has been one of my favorite year, even though we're still going through COVID. I learned a lot of strategies, how to do cold call and be better to close over the phone. Um, I think this year I cannot complain. I cannot wait to wake up tomorrow and find another contract and close another deal. As I was here today, I just got the text message from myself. She did it close. She's in Canada. So there's still things happening right now, even on the market, it is crazy. We just need to put ourselves a little bit more out there, push, learn, encourage each other, and grow together. There's a many opportunities for everyone on this market this year. When I wake up, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I always enjoy that. Um, you know, I just like the relationships, you know, meeting with, meeting with new people, uh, just having the opportunity to repeat clients or people know that you have the ability to do thing you need to do to help them or whatever. Uh, you know, good is, uh, I mean, as long as I've been in the market, the most important thing to me besides family is my reputation. So, you know, keeping a good reputation, and if I still got that, then I think it's good. You know, and, it, and it's, uh, once again, you know, Houston, Texas, we just can't go wrong, can we? I mean, it's just a great place to do business. So, Eddie, you said something that uh, stuck out to me and something in a philosophy that I've always had whenever I talk to new investors, which is just letting them know 
as a real estate investor, we always have one of two problems. When the market's up, it's harder to buy, but it's easier to sell, right? When the market's down, it's easier to buy, but it's harder to sell. Trust me, the market that you want to solve the problem in is the one that we're in right now, right? Uh, it's the one that will actually make you sleep a little bit better, at, night, at least in my opinion. But I, I agree, I think, uh, with what Olivia said and, and what you guys have all said, which is there are, there's opportunity in every part of the market cycle. Now, might you have to change, downshift, upshift your strategies? The answer is yes. So uh, one, of the, one of the things I want to make sure you guys have a takeaway with is this. Your job as an entrepreneur, and for all of us as real estate investors, we are all entrepreneurs. Your job as an entrepreneur is to look for the disruption in the marketplace. Come up with a solution for that disruption. Put a process around it so you can hand it to somebody else to do for you while you're doing what? Being heads up and looking for that next disruption. So uh, the, the great thing about these panelists is they've invested through different disruptions, right? They know how to make money when the market's up. They know how to make money when the market's uh, down. They know uh, uh, the, the Kenny Rogers, when to hold and when to fold. So next question, guys, and uh, Russell, again, I'll start with you. How has or how will the lack of inventory change how you invest in real estate? How will you pivot your business or how have you pivoted your business as a result? Well, the key word is pivot. Uh, like I said, I, I get to bounce between, used to do multifamily, but commercial, industrial, residential, you know, whatever the market gives you, you take. Uh, recently, I've been uh, buying more country property, acreage, because people want to get out of the city and own their little you know, piece of heaven there, 10 acres, and so you buy 100 acres and you split it or do whatever. So, uh, I mean, that's, it's funny, as a real estate entrepreneur, investor, or agent, or broker, or whatever, you know, whatever the market, whatever's going on in the market, we don't have an option but to be successful. So we just have to get up, figure out the, the best way to do something, make ourselves valuable in the market, and, and pivot. And, and I think that every three years, Regardless if it's a it's a big correction or a small correction, we have to pivot to stay viable. Olivia, what would you like to add to that? Um, so I try not to make a decision when I leave coming to me. I like to work through it and figure out which strategy to use. If it is equity partnering, I mean I love equity partnering. If it is sub two, uh, wholesaling. So I don't make any decision until I look at the numbers and work through the process. I don't mind, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big city who wear in Texas. It has to be in Texas for now. Uh, but I don't make the strategies until I look at the numbers and play with it. So I think that's why there's amazing opportunity for the, the right training, the right networking, that you can make a deal that is a complete deal, even as a short sale, when there's nothing for you to do, there is some amazing people who go through the process of the first step and you can still make money. So I like all the deals, all the leads regarding the residential or commercial. I just work through the number and try to find the right strategy for it. Eddie, how will or has the lack of inventory change how you invest or um, how, how have you planned to pivot in, in so many of your different businesses as well? Well, um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is when we exit a property now is we used to rehab everything. I mean, we put a major effort into, you know, paint, countertops, new appliances, everything. 
Now, when we acquire a property, if it's decent to average to, you know, livable, a lot of times now we'll just we'll just clean it and put it on the market. And uh, the thing that I do more so than ever is when I acquire a house, we, we're all trained to look at the sales data to determine value. Now we look at the actives more than we used to. What's what's on the market we're going to compete with, if anything is on the market at all in that area. But we clean them up and put them active on MLS, and we have a lot of success with that, where we used to rehab everything. I'm going to tell you, if you eliminate rehabbing from your daily chores, your life is a lot easier, I promise you. Okay, There's a lot of trouble sometimes working out there for you on a big rehab. The other thing that we've had to do is we've had to inch our pricing up a little bit, take them a little thinner, or what we think is thinner, and then but maybe some of those times we're able to make up some of that uh, spread in quickness of sale because we're not paying as much of the interest and the taxes and the insurance and such. So that comes into play. On a little bit of a joking side, I said to my staff the other day, let's start a raffle to see how low the inventory in Houston goes. And actually, I said it as a joke, and it got a little traction. So we're thinking about having some having some fun with it and maybe get some type of, you know, for fun raffle going of how low is the inventory actually going to go before it turns. I think the market is listening. <laughs> Uh, v, how has the uh, lack of inventory changed how you invest in real estate, or how have you, or how will you pivot? Yes, yeah, several things. So first, I I stopped trying to buy 100 houses a year, but focused on maybe buying 20, but make them all count. So, you know, if you can buy 20 houses or sell 20 houses a year and make as much money as 100 houses, you do that all day long, and this is where that unique opportunity uh, presents itself. The second thing is I look at other areas. I look at other areas where there's less competitions, where less people are at. You know, my cost to buy is less. My cost of doing business is less in those areas. So don't go to Corpus Christi, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Um, lastly, I look at um, how I exit the property. How can I maximize my revenue, my return on every property I buy? Because this, you know, as you all say, inventory is low. So how can I maximize my return on the property? And it could be I sell it now. It could be I hold it, and it could be Airbnb it. And um, and that's what I do. So one of the new things that I developed from this whole. Uh, shortest of inventory and this huge opportunity right now is developing a new rental portfolio for short terms. It's, it's crazy right now with the rate of return we get on short term rentals, and that's one of um, how I pivot. Yeah, so um, short term rentals took a big hit in March, April, May, June of last year. And it seems like they have rebounded over the last um, six to nine months as people want to get out and go somewhere, but they don't maybe don't want to get on an airplane. 
as people start to travel more, because I think, does anybody have travel on their agenda for 2021? Yeah, it'd be like most of the room, right? Um, I'm wondering, are you seeing that affecting your uh, bookings? How, how, how well are they booked in advance? If you don't, I mean, if you want to share. So last year uh, in March, everything shut down and, uh, you know, we, uh, we went from thousands of tens of thousands of dollars in rent, expected rent to zero quickly overnight. But then in, uh, when April came and then May came and then June came, surprisingly, our revenue kept going up and kept going up and kept going up. And 2020 was the best year ever for short-term rental for us. And here we are in the first quarter of 2021 and we're doing great. So surprisingly, people get holed up at home, they can't travel, and even just going to a different home in their city, they want to do that. Um, so the market is doing well. No, I think that's ex I think that's exactly right. In fact, I've looked at different homes within my city as well, and it's just like, I just want a different view out the window, right? Even if I'm not going anywhere. So I think that's great. I mean, what a wild ride Airbnbs were last year for sure. So I'm glad uh, you made that pivot and were able to get through. And Eddie, something you, you said about uh, investing when it comes to doing the renovation. So I always joke that my least favorite quote when it comes to uh, real estate is my renovation project came in on time and on budget said no one ever <laughs> so, so there are surprises for sure and you got to be ready for that and i love uh the the ability and even when the market was down i'll tell you uh when the market was down last i i liked that prehab strategy just because you're getting in and out because the longer you hold something when the market's going down the worse it is for potentially the the resale price right uh, for me when the market's going up i'm kind of like oh if this renovation takes me a little bit longer which now our renovation's taking longer just because of the lack of inventory the uh, the supply the disruption in supply chain right some of those are happening so we're seeing it's like wow i didn't know if i accidentally made a mistake in my project and i held it three months that i was going to make an extra thirty thousand dollars but you do have to be careful if you're getting started in a market like this, not to let that luck of the market inform you as an investing strategy, right? Because sometimes the market's not going to serve you uh, a, a big bonus like it did for many of us last year and so far this year. So uh, I think that's great perspective. Thank you for that. One of the big things, guys, I'm seeing right now in all of the markets, and it's probably more in the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth market, but really starting to hit the Harris County market, the Houston market as well, are the iBuyers. How many of you guys in the room are competing with some of the iBuyers? So that's OfferPad, Door. yes, yes, yes. Okay, a couple of you guys. So I'm curious to ask uh, the panel, how has that affected your business um, and, and how do you see yourself pivoting or even differentiating yourself as a real estate investor as we're seeing more technology come into play to, to and in many cases, I feel like so many of those high buyers, the objective was more to cut realtors off at the knees, but it is having a ripple effect, right, to investors as well. So, uh, Russell, would you mind commenting on that? I think I've made my living off of people that are disruptors. 
where they come in, they tell us how great they're going to be, how long they're going to be here, and if you stay steady in the market, you're going to be successful. Shanoa and I had a conversation when we first met about Zillow. They lose a ton of money on each deal that they do. We don't lose money on deals that we do. We can't afford to. So whether it's the funds that come in and buy, you know, 5,000 houses with other people's money and, and three years later, they've taken all their fees and tucked their tail and gone back to wherever they came from. Uh, disruptors come and go, stay the course, and uh, you'll be very successful. And we, we take them seriously, but I mean, some of it, they come in and buy a lot of properties and you go look at the quality of renovations, it's just not there. You know, it's, it's a lot of hype. And uh, I mean, I, I do some retail residential, not a, not a whole lot, mostly just kind of buy for myself, but um, you just take them head on and keep doing your business and you will, you will be successful and they'll be long gone. Olivia, uh, what are your thoughts on some of the iBuyers that are out there? <laughs> 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 um, I'm hold it a little closer so we can hear So I'm going through some big time renovation right now. Um, in San Antonio, and I have a, another project in Dallas. Um, we are about uh, one of my uh, partners actually here. I think we're kind of almost two months behind on this project because uh, of the finding the right contractor with the right price, with the right budget, and trusting that person that he will be able to start and finish that project, not on time, but doing it right. Uh, and that was one of the things that hold us back a little bit because we took, we had about six bids on that particular project until we felt comfort with one guy, one company, and we decided to go with him. So far, he's doing great. The project is moving forward. Yes, the price has increased in some of the material, but I believe we're going to probably going to, we're supposed to sell that house for 180, 190, and it will be on the market the next three to four weeks. And I believe we're going to be able to sell that property for about 230 to 20. I haven't run the last the another CMA, so we're not ready yet. But I'm actually going to we're going to make some profit, just because we are two months behind because of, it was hard to find the right contractor for that particular one. So, Eddie, what are your thoughts on uh, some of the high buyers like off the pad of the door out there? How are they affecting your business? Uh, or how are you seeing them affect the business of other investors that you work with as well? Well, I've tried to take advantage of the situation a little bit, and I've probably sold open door and off the pad a dozen houses in the past year. Uh, and they, they pay too much. So I'm, I'm happy to sell them even more if they're going to continue to pay more. So I've taken advantage of it. In, in that respect, I've had a lot of lighthearted arguments with my friends in this business about if the eye buyers are going to be around for a while. Uh, I thought I had won that argument last year when Open Door basically shut down for a while. Big, big articles, lots of articles about how much money they lost. And then, you know, they bounce back and come back. So we'll see. Uh, I, I know the numbers in this business so well. I don't see how they can continue to pay what they're paying. You know, I guess 
we'll see long term what that comes out to be. But the fact is, if you're going head to head with an eye buyer on a newer house, define a newer house, probably built after 2005 or maybe after 2010. If you're going head to head with an eye buyer, you're probably not going to get that deal. They're going to they're going to pay more than you're going to pay. This is basic facts. It is what it is. But where you have a I think a pretty strong advantage on them is when you go to a house that really needs a lot of rehab. That is not what they want. That is not their model. And even if they give a quote, you know, unseen, you've got to educate that seller that that's not the number they're going to get. Because when they come out and inspect, that number's going way down, way down on a big rehab. And you can sell convenience and now and that your offer is ready to go and you don't have to wait on anybody else to come out here. And that's what I have taken advantage of the situation with. You know, you can win against them if the house is a you know, pretty good size rehab. They do have specific buying criteria that they follow. So you can select properties in your marketing potentially that don't meet their criteria so you don't have them as, as, as a competitor. Um, I often say, uh, when you compete with stupid and you win, you really lost, you just don't know it yet, right? It's going to be several months until you get the renovation done that you realize that you're in trouble. When you compete with stupid, you want to lose because they sometimes don't know what they're doing and, and, and no deal is better than a bad deal, right? That is 100 correct. You know, if the deal you miss out on does not put you out of business. The bad deal you end up with could put you out of the business. Don't be afraid of big bad wolf. Same way on how. V, tell me your thoughts on the iBuyers. Well, one of my best deal a profit was the house I sold to Open Door and I made hundred thousand plus. So. Oh, Thank you, the open door. Um, <laughs> you guys are right because they do have a, like a, a box that they buy in. So we can change our marketing strategy to market outside of that box. Or you can do what I did, you know, get it under contract and see what open door offer pet would pay you. So and don't beat them, join them. Exactly. Something that works. Yeah. You know, um, so those are the things that, that I um, have adjusted and also focus on what we can offer. You know, we can offer that personal relationship. Uh, hey, I'm going to walk you through the process instead of talking to email on open door or not ever see anyone or talk to anyone on the phone. So focus on the thing that we can offer. You know, to to win the sellers. Yeah, I don't. I don't think uh, some of those companies are able to stop a foreclosure a day before it's going. Um, I know I can, right? So uh, some of those sellers are waiting for the last minute. Uh, open door, even though they might offer more and can't solve their, their problem in time. Guys, we have uh, less than three minutes. So last speed round, what's the best advice you might have for someone who's a new investor in this business? So V, you have the mic. Do you mind if I start with you? Sure. Buy low, sell high. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're lying. I think I've heard Eddie say that about 100 times over the last 20 years. I trained V in this business. <laughs> I, yeah, the best advice, one, um, 
learn what to do face to face, eyeball to eyeball with the seller when you get a no. Learn how to battle that. If you solve that of what you can do to turn the no into a yes while you're sitting at the kitchen table or sitting on the couch, that will make you a lot of money in this business. What to do, what to say, how to handle the no. That's beautiful. Uh, Olivia, what's some of the best advice you have for somebody who's just getting started out? Uh, I hear a lot of frustration from new investors that comes to me every day. Olivia, why can't we offer the same that someone else is? I'm like, because we're going to lose money. And uh, we just need to be patient, find more leads, doing more cold calling, doing more door knocking, put yourself out there because they are there waiting for us. It's just We just need to find them and fight for them. Equity partner is a great solution. You don't need to compete with the numbers. You're still going to make exactly the same amount. Equity partner, for me, works great when I am competing with everyone else because I'm not competing with the numbers. I'm talking direct to the seller. So, I'm, you know, they always think they're going to make more than they actually really are. But the equity partner works great for me. Just be patient. Uh, don't put yourself too ahead or compete with everyone else. Follow the numbers, follow the math, because that's what's going to make you money and save you money at the end of the day. Russell, you get the last word. I think we have 40 seconds left, so I'll let you uh, end it out. Okay. So, uh, take what the market gives you, always. Look for the next emerging market. Let everybody fight over the other stuff. Look for the next neighborhood over, the next neighborhood over. I tell people don't be the first wagon train in, be about the third, and then get out before the last one comes in and gets slaughtered. I would say by a certain nationality that'd get me in trouble, I guess. That's, that's my Western take on it. But, um, just, you know, I don't, I don't have to compete as much because I, I think that I can move between markets. Uh, have a, I've made a lot of money because people are marketing a house on half an acre as a house, and I see a half an acre with three warehouses. Or if I see an acre with three warehouses, and that's how they're marketing it, I see a gated community for David Weekly. So just go the opposite direction of, of the market and have your own vision for what you see uh, in the neighborhood. And if I got one more second, don't remember what something was like 20 years ago. Go back today because the town is ever changing. I mean, it is ever changing. The areas that I wouldn't have invested in 20 years ago are booming. If I kept that thought in my mind of what it was like 20 years ago, didn't go look at it today, I'd be looking out, missing out on an opportunity. I often say, when you find yourself saying, well, I remember when, Slap your own self in your own face, right? Uh, because you got to get with the time. So I think that's great advice. Uh, thank you, panel, so much for being here and uh, offering your your sage advice and being willing to share with everybody. I really appreciate that. Can we have a round of applause? We have a standing round of applause.